Hi, welcome to episode 536 of the Fantastic Forecast. I'm Dave Elliott, and I'm a secret member of the comic book podcasting Illuminati. Don't! Was I supposed to say that? Forget I said that. In every episode of the Fantastic Forecast, I'll be talking about a different issue of the Fantastic Four, starting with issue 1 and going all the way to issue 645. And today, it's not an issue of the Fantastic Four, it's New Avengers Illuminati Special from May 2006. New Avengers Illuminati, also the title of the story, I guess, by Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maleev. And it's here, as it says on the cover of the issue, the road to civil war. Yes, civil war begins here. And already, and already, if I'm going to count all the things I hate about civil war, we can start with number one, the creation of this stupid Marvel Universe Illuminati, a group of superheroes, most of whom are leaders of some kind, authority figures, if you will, starting with Reed Richards, leader of the Fantastic Four, Professor X, founder of the X-Men, Black Bolt and Namor, the Submariner, kings of the Inhumans and Atlantis, respectively, and T'Challa, the Black Panther, king of Wakanda. They've got three kings, and throw in Iron Man, who's kind of an Avengers leader in that he bankrolls the team, and Doctor Strange, leader of nothing other than being a badass. Was he the leader of the Defenders back in the day? Maybe. But despite being a loner in most of the time, he throws off some serious authority figure vibes. And this group of seven characters have been meeting behind the scenes for years, in secret, dating back to at least the 1970s in our time, since Namor is in his 1970s outfit. I hate this kind of retroactive uh, nonsense. And we start at this one meeting in Wakanda, and Iron Man takes the opportunity to bitch about recent events, namely the Kree-Skrull War which he blames on this group, this Illuminati group, saying that they should have had more and more organized structure to deal with issues like that. He says that the heroes should all be one big group. The X-Men, the Avengers, the Inhumans, Fantastic Four, and everyone else. I guess by everyone else he means Moon Knight. So Iron Man thinks they should all be part of one big team. Let me guess, called the Avengers? That kind of describes the current Marvel Universe of 2016, isn't Isn't everybody an Avenger by now? Everyone except for Moon Knight, of course. Actually, he was a West Coast Avenger. Namor thinks that the idea sucks. He's right. Reed kind of agrees with Namor, saying, asking, who would run a group, and who would the group answer to? And Doctor Strange chimes in, saying that the United Nations surely shouldn't run the team. They don't need to get caught up with that kind of bureaucracy. You know, this conversation kind of reminds me of the similar conversation between the Avengers near the beginning of the movie Captain America Civil War. Only, that was good and this is not. I mean, what are these seven people doing meeting together like this? There's been no hint of this ever. And suddenly, retroactively, this Illuminati is a thing. Iron Man tries to convince Professor X it's a good idea, saying that having the mutant X-Men working with the other heroes would be good for their image. But Black Panther has a point and says that by working with the X-Men, it might be bad for the image of the rest of the heroes. It's kind of like when Kim Kardashian got married to Kanye West. 
Does being around Kim Kardashian make Kanye West look bad? Or does being around Kanye West make Kim Kardashian look bad? Okay, that's a bad example. Namer points out that the Avengers have some ex-criminals on the team. The Avengers have some shady characters as well. Black Bolt's brother is a menace. He's mad, they say. Not to mention Namer himself, who's led an invasion or two of New York City. Namer says they would not make good role models or as delegates for the entire planet Earth. Reed says that they should meet like this more often and trade information from time to time. And Namer insists that the meetings remain secret. No family, no wives. Why? Why should a meeting with Reed, Iron Man, and these others need to be secret? I know that Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, and Vladimir Putin have secret meetings with each other, but there's a very good reason for keeping those meetings secret. But why do these superheroes need to keep their meetings secret? Doesn't seem to make any sense to me, other than to explain why they've been doing it for over for decades and we've never heard of it. So they hold a vote on whether or not to keep meeting, and everyone votes in favor of it, except for the Black Panther, who thinks it's a bad idea. He says, You just decided all by yourselves that you are the Earth's protectors, and that you, and only you, not your teammates or family, are trustworthy enough to include in the process. What happens when you disagree? When one of these Earth-changing moments finds you all at odds with each other here in a secret meeting, what happens then? Walk away. Walk away now. Those are good words of warning to anyone looking to pick up a Civil War comic. Walk away. Walk away now. After Black Bolt leaves, Professor X wants to talk about an island in the South Pacific called Krakoa, which is a part of the giant-sized X-Men number one, the introduction of the new X-Men. Okay, let me get this straight. The original X-Men went missing on the living island of Krakoa. Professor X meets with Reed, Iron Man, and the others and tells them about how the original X-Men are missing and then the Professor X goes off and recruits a whole new team of X-Men to help rescue the original X-Men. So what do Reed and the others say when Professor X tells them about what happened to the original X-Men? I guess they told him, we don't care, it's your problem. Because the Avengers and the Fantastic Four did not go to Krakoa to help. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, in another retcon, I think Professor X recruited another group of X-Men to go to Krakoa, and they were all killed. And then he recruited a second group. And Tony and Reed and Doctor Strange did nothing. They refused to help Professor X. What a bunch of assholes. And so we skip ahead in time, back to the year 2006. But one month ago, in Las Vegas, where the Hulk is fighting the Thing. And up on the S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier, 1,000 feet above Akron, Ohio. Akron, Ohio? Why Akron, Ohio? Iron Man is up there chatting with Agent Maria Hill, and she's going on about all the people that Norman Osborn has killed, and how it's kind of Spider-Man's fault, because he's had all these chances to kill Norman Osborn, but he didn't do it. Of all the examples that she could have used... Why Norman Osborn and Spider-Man? Because during a fight with Spider-Man, Norman Osborn did die. And he, stayed dead, and he stayed dead for decades. And if you ask me, he should have stayed dead. And she looks at the Hulk on the video screen and says, I'm doing everything I can to stop the Hulk. My question is, are you? Oh, come on. 
I just read that issue of Fantastic Four a few days ago. And when it comes to stopping the Hulk, Maria Hill and S.H.I.E.L.D. didn't do a damn thing. So Iron Man goes flying off, and later, we're on Hydro Base, former home of the Avengers, and Iron Man is meeting with Reed, Namor, Doctor Strange, and Black Bolt. They're discussing what to do about the Hulk. That shooting him off into space plan seems pretty appealing to most of them, but not to Namor. He thinks they should work harder to cure Bruce Banner, even though Reed says that he's been trying and trying all these years with no success. They all vote to shoot the Hulk into space, with Namor being the sole exception. Things get snippy between Namor and Iron Man, with Namor punching Iron Man so hard he goes flying off the island. Namor flies after him, and they get into a fight. They end up in the water, where Namor rips Tony's helmet off, but Doctor Strange comes along, uses his powers to lift Tony up out of the water before he drowns. Namor calls them a bunch of fools, and he flies off in a huff. So later, Reed and the others use a life model decoy robot of Nick Fury to trick the Hulk into going on some mission in orbit over Earth. And once he's in the spacecraft out in space, Reed comes on the screen and he's like, I'm sorry, Bruce, but for your own sake and ours, we're sending your ass away. And whoosh, off Hulk goes. But Hulk gets the last laugh because he gets to be in a great comic book, Planet Hulk, and everyone else is stuck in a crappy civil war. So later, at Funtime Inc., a subsidiary of uh, Stark Enterprises, Iron Man is sitting by himself waiting for the others to arrive, and then finally Black Bolt, Namor, Doctor Strange, and Reed Richards arrive, and it turns out that Professor X is missing and has been missing since House of M. It's kind of odd that they even know the name of that crossover. Namor is once again getting snippy about the group, and Reed asks, Why are you even here? It's kind of like whenever I go to a wedding and I make sarcastic remarks during the ceremony. Till death do us part? Yeah, right. And they ask me why I even bothered to come. And the answer, always, free food. I wonder if these Illuminati get-togethers are catered. So Iron Man presents the others with a copy of a bill that will soon be introduced in Congress called the Superhero Registration Act, in which anyone with powers, anyone in a costume... And any mutant will be required by law to reveal themselves to the U.S. government. And in return, each person will be given a job working for the new S.H.I.E.L.D. security force, in which, of course, they will have to, they will have to answer to somebody, namely, somebody in the U.S. government. Now, in the movie, Iron Man just suggests that the Avengers work for the United Nations, which is a fairly reasonable request. But... This is a huge problem, my biggest problem I have with a comic book civil war. This Superhero Registration Act is so outrageous, so horrible, so terrible. I mean, most superheroes have lives outside of being a superhero, especially in the comics, and they have secret identities, loved ones to protect. Not to mention that mutants face tremendous discrimination in this society, so forcing them to come out of the closet is just outright cruel. And obviously, this bill in no way, shape, or form would be constitutional. Forcing people to work for the United States government against their will? Antonin Scalia and Ruth Bader Ginsburg agreed on very little, but I'm sure they would both have agreed that this bill is shit. Dr. Strange asked a good question. If a person is wearing a mask, how would they know who to, Iron Man replies, 
S.H.I.E.L.D. is developing a special unit to hunt down anyone disobeying the law. Well, that's just disgusting, Doctor Strange replies. Iron Man suggests they all voluntarily support this law. Reed doesn't have anything to say. Black Bolt doesn't have much to say either. And usually, you can't get that guy to stop talking. Such a motor mouth. Can't, such a motor mouth. And then, the, you know, and then the Submariner, he doesn't like the law either. But wait a minute. Submariner isn't even an American. He lives in the ocean. This law doesn't affect him at all. And Black Bolt lives on the damn moon. He's not an American either. He's not even an Earthling at this point. So Iron Man gives a long speech in support of the law, saying that one day some young hero or heroes will make a huge mistake and a bunch of people will die. And it may happen on television. And it'll cause a huge uproar in America. People will be outraged at superheroes. And other heroes like Spider-Man, for example, might be made an example of and forced to be unmasked in public, putting their lives and marriages on the line. And superheroes will end up fighting against each other, friend against friend. Oh, come on. This prediction by Iron Man is so on the nose, it's almost as if Mark Millar sent Tony Stark an advanced copy of the script to Civil War. What a terrible scene. Oh, so dumb. So, so dumb. So Namor says there's no chance he's agreeing to this. And if they come after him in Atlantis, it'll be war. And he leaves. Doctor Strange chimes in and says that the whole thing is wrong. And Reed finally speaks up. You know, surely he'll be reasonable and point out that the Superhero Registration Act is a terrible idea. But nope. Tony's right. He's completely right, he says. And here's another thing. The third thing? Wrong with Civil War. Characters acting completely out of character. There is no way, no way that Reed Richards would agree to such a terrible law. First of all, he, more than any other superhero, knows the dangers of having the public know your real name and your address. Just last month, someone was firing missiles in an attempt to kill his son. So he's got this difficult life where it's impossible to raise a family, and he's going to force that on everybody else against their will? I don't think so. This issue ends with Reed leaving, saying, Well, I have to go home and fight with my wife about this for the rest of my life. It was fun while it lasted. And that kind of sums up how I feel about the Marvel Universe before and after Civil War. It was fun while it lasted. And that brings us to... Welcome to episode 536, part 2 of the Fantastic Forecast. Today is Fantastic Four 536, dated May 2006. The Hammer Falls by J. Michael Straczynski and Mike McCone. And so the issue starts with a prologue. Six months ago, there's a comet streaking through space, coming toward Earth, entering the atmosphere, and crashing with a huge fireball in the middle of Oklahoma. And in the present, or in 2006 I should say, Reed comes home from his meeting with Iron Man and the Illuminati late at night. Sue comes in and asks, how did it go? Reed doesn't really want to talk about it, he just wants to eat his sandwich. But Sue puts up a force field around the sandwich. He thinks about it, and we get a flashback to the scene from New Avengers Illuminati, 
which is literally just a page reprinted from that issue. Laziest flashback ever. It's the page where Iron Man reveals the Superhero Registration Act. And it seems like Reed tells Sue about this. It's not quite clear. Maybe he didn't. I'm not sure. But they're watching TV, and the news report... There's a news report about Tony Stark appearing before a Senate subcommittee on superhuman relations, which sounds like a committee devoted to the dirty things that Reed and Sue do when they're alone in the negative zone. Tony Stark has Peter Parker by his side, even though at this point, no one knows he's Spider-Man. Sue asks, They wouldn't. You don't think the government is really going to? She calls it election year posturing. Reed says it's not that simple. So Reed gets a call on Skype, an army general, telling Reed there's an emergency in Oklahoma. So Reed goes and rounds up the team. And in Oklahoma, there's this area that still uh, seems to be on fire, and there's a fence around the area saying that it's off limits. And we see some army troops inside getting burnt to death. Huh. Maybe they should have read that sign that said no trespassing. And the army detects an enemy presence nearby. It's an army of doom bots. They all say, stand aside for the glory that is doom. The FF in the Fantastic Car arrive, and Ben leaps down, faces off against some doom bots, and says, let's get this party started. Oh, he's trying out a new catchphrase. I like it. So the army troops are fighting doom bots, and Ben joins in and he starts ripping one apart. Reed, Sue, and Johnny join in, and they start fighting the robots. Although, Johnny does get blasted in the back by one, and he falls to the ground. How embarrassing. One of the robots says, Your excessive confidence has always been your downfall. Okay, he's not quite the Zingbot, is he? But Johnny gets the last laugh when he burns him to a crisp. So Reed finds the general in charge and asks what's going on. The general says that, On the battleground, they've lost their GPS and their radar systems. And a missile flies in and blows up the structure, some kind of lab in the area. And then the real Doctor Doom emerges from the crowd of robots and he says that he's been looking for this for six months. And we learn what it was that crashed there at the beginning of the issue. It's the Hammer of Thor. I think Doctor Doom is barking up the wrong tree on this one. I don't see him lifting the hammer of Thor unless he gets a major attitude adjustment. So that's it for the first part of Civil War. Coming next time, Fantastic Four, issue 537, and issues 1 and 2 of Civil War. If you have any questions about the Fantastic Four, about this podcast, or if you need relationship advice, you can email me at podcastff at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter, Dave Elliott at podcastff. And you can download other episodes of iTunes to find them all at www.podcastff.podbean.com. So long, kids. This podcast is over. I'm